Dr. Carson told us to get out of our safety zone, and that's what we're going to do right now. Oh, yeah. That's what this panel is all about. <laughs> I'm actually a, a news broadcaster who wanted to be a brain surgeon, but I was felled by my uh, pre-med courses first year at Stanford University, so now I get to ask questions to neurosurgeons, doctors, and scientists. But it's great to be here. Um, you know, as a news broadcaster, every night, our shows are filled with medical breakthroughs. This is what people really want to hear about today. But we also have in the headlines so often the collision of science and religion. Embryonic stem cell research is a great example of that. And so that's what we want to talk about today. And so for each of our panelists, and Ben, let me start with you. What I'd like you to do is very briefly talk about the work you do and how your faith informs your science and how the science informs your faith. Okay, well. Uh, as a neurosurgeon, obviously I spent a lot of time dealing with the brain uh, and the nervous system, and I've been extraordinarily impressed by how complex it is. Um, I'm also very much uh, interested in, in human development and social development of individuals, uh, and as a pediatric neurosurgeon, spent a lot of time dealing with children and dealing with human potential. And when I combine that with the scientific background, uh, I tend to think that human beings are very different from other creatures. And I think that's probably where I differentiate with, with some of my colleagues here on the panel who tend to think that it's all one continuum. Uh, however, uh, when you look at the human brain and you look at what we're capable of, there is an, an extra sense of um, what I call spirituality, uh, something that takes us beyond what an ape or a dog or a cat or a mouse is able to do that makes us special, that makes us in charge of the environment in which we live. And uh, I remember once I was talking about that in an article in Parade Magazine, and a guy wrote in and said that, uh, that I was a species. Uh, you know, not a racist, a species, because I was indicating that there was something special about human beings versus other animals. But uh, I'll be very interested to, to hear with those who, uh, who uh, disagree with that belief. Dr. Richard Dawkins, if you would uh, tell us a little bit about your work as an evolutionary biologist and also your new book, The God Delusion, which I think tells the, uh, the audience here where you come from. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that the existence of a supreme being, a supernatural god, is a scientific hypothesis like any other. The universe with a supreme creator would be a totally different kind of universe from one without. And therefore, I have no patience at all with those among my colleagues who say something like, science and religion have nothing to do with each other, they don't come into collision with each other, they are about totally different things. They are about the same thing. They're about the nature of the universe. And uh, one, they can't both be, be it, it can't both be true that there, that there is a supreme being and that there is not. That is a scientific question. Whether we'll ever be able to answer it with certainty by scientific means isn't clear, but it is a scientific question. Now, one of the main ways in which, from a scientific point of view, people try to demonstrate the existence of a god is what can be called the argument from improbability. If you look at most of the scientific arguments, such as they are, against 
um, sorry, for, for God. They're actually arguments against evolution. And it's very easy to see why this is, because Darwin's theory of evolution by natural selection is a stunning example of a reversal in human thought historically. Before Darwin came along, it was possible to say, because living things are so amazingly complicated and improbable in a statistical sense, therefore, there has to be a creator. What Darwin did was to blow that argument out of the water. Incredibly, as it must have seemed, Darwin showed that it is possible to get things as complicated as the human brain, as all the wonderful things we've been hearing about, by totally non-designed means. You start with a very, very simple beginning, and you work up by gradual degrees, every one of which is explicable and understood, to the prodigies of complexity that we see in the living world. Now, Darwin, of course, only dealt with the living world. He didn't de deal with the cosmos. And we need a completely different kind of explanation for the universe. But I see Darwinism as a consciousness raiser. It raises our consciousness as a species to the power of science to explain things which would otherwise have seemed completely inexplicable. And the final thing I want to say is that when people use the argument from improbability, they do it in a rather, not intentionally dishonest, but what amounts to a, di a dishonest way. The form of the argument goes like this. We have discovered, they say, a gap in, for example, Darwin's theory. There's something you can't explain. The elbow joint of the lesser spotted weasel frog has never been explained. Therefore, God must have done it. Now, notice the dishonesty in that kind of logic. You say we have two, we have two hypotheses, hypothesis A, evolution, hypothesis B, God. We think we've found a flaw in hypothesis A. We don't even look to see whether hypothesis B can solve the problem. We just say by default, therefore hypothesis B must be right. That's no way to do science. On the contrary, the hypothesis that a divine designer did it <coughs> is itself postulating a being of staggering improbability in his own right. And whatever arguments one deploys against uh, evolution will backfire a hundredfold against the theory of the divine designer. Um, Dr. Daniel Dennett uh, is an expert in cognitive sciences, uh, literally explains consciousness. So explain, do you uh, agree with uh, what you've just heard? Um. I agree with a lot that both of them said, uh, both Dr. Carson and, and Richard Dawkins. Uh, Dr. Carson uh, said that when he looks at the human brain, he sees something that really distinguishes it sharply from, from all other creatures. It's not so much what he finds in the brain, it's what the brain can do. And, and I agree that, that, that the human species is really on a different plane from all other species. He uses the word spirituality. I would say it's because of language and culture, and that these are themselves evolved features of our world, and they can be studied using the Darwinian perspective. And that what we need to do now is to study using the methods of science, just exactly the methods that we saw. For instance, Spencer Wells' wonderful map that opened his talk. We also need maps that trace human languages, and human cultures, these are evolved processes.
products of the biosphere. They are fruits on the tree of life in exactly the same way that every organism and every apple is a, is, is a fruit on the tree of life. When we study the evolution of faith, we learn many interesting things. My most recent book is about studying the evolution of faith and distinguishing rather sharply between the ancestral faiths, the faiths such as they must have been of those early humans in moving out of Africa, and organized religions, which came along much later. There are very recent phenomenon on the planet, only, only a few thousand years old, about the same age as agriculture, maybe 10,000 years at most. And there are adaptations. Religions have adapted to fit that wonderful human brain that we've heard so much about. And if we study religions, we can reverse engineer religions the same way we reverse engineer organisms and their parts. And we can learn from studying the evolution of faith how it's come to be such a powerful force in the world. And the reason that we need to do that is that in the 21st century, it is perhaps the most powerful social phenomenon. And if we don't understand it from top to bottom, we risk making some well-intentioned but terrible mistakes as we try to plot our future in this century.